episode 195 of the Bevan James Oil Show, an interview with Brody Sharp on dealing with injuries. Alrighty, a team welcome along to episode 195 of the Bevan James Oil Show, your fortnightly podcast on the behaviours that create a lifetime love of exercise, so you can get all the benefits that come alongside it. Uh, today I've got a pretty cool interview actually with a young man by the name of Brody Sharp. Uh, I don't know if he's young or not actually, I think he's, he's younger than me, so I can say that now. Um, he's got a website called runsmarter.online. And it's basically, he's a guy who really, he's obviously a physio and he works with a lot of injuries around running, but... I wanted to talk to him about, he kind of contacted me and said, are you interested about having an interview on the show? And I was kind of like, mm, you know, this show is more about the behaviours. But let's be honest, injury management is such a behaviour thing. And I'll be honest, I've actually got quite a bad hip injury right now. Um, unfortunately, I, I've got, it's, it's, hopefully it's not too serious, but it's something that's really limiting and, and there's a lot of pain associated in my life at the moment because of this injury. Uh, and emotionally dealing with injury is a thing that a lot of people get wrong. And uh, so it's just good to have Brody on because A, he kind of understands the physical side and the, you know, the uh, medical side of dealing with injuries, but at the same time he has also dealt with a lot of injuries. And so we, we dig deep into the emotional side of these types of things. So it's a pretty cool, and let's be honest, one thing, that, one thing that's really important to understand is when you move, you're going to get injured. You are. Now, there's things we can do to avoid injury, there's things to do to lessen the chance of injury, but, you know, bodies get injuries. And uh, so if we understand that, but then also we have good wise strategies around thinking and all those things, then we can be much more successful in how we deal with injury. But... Brody goes into that in a much more detail than I do right now. So um, Brody's going to be up pretty soon. It's just, there's a couple of things I want to talk about at the moment before I get into the main gist of today's show. And the first one comes from a class I was teaching this morning. I was teaching, I teach a 920 RPM class, which is kind of like a spin class. And in my spin classes, I often get pretty insightful because you've got a bit more time to get inside people's heads. And I, was, I basically... There was basically what happened was I had three working blocks within this song. The first working block, I just got the people to do the work. Then in the second working block, I, I tried to get them to work hard. So I put some challenge in there, I lay out the framework of what they had to do, I tried to motivate them at the right times, and ideally I was trying to get them to kind of go to another level. And then I got to the end of that block, and I and I said to them, are you better than that? Do you think you could be better than that? And then I kind of went down this path of speaking, and there might be something in there for you. So I kind of asked that question, are you better than that? And then I kind of talked about this idea of sometimes in life we think we are better at something, but we haven't actually proven to ourselves that we are better at it. And that's kind of what I was talking about to my participants of this class, was that, well, you guys probably inside your head as I asked that question all thought to yourself, yes, I am better than that. But actually, it's the next set that we're going to do that you have to actually prove that to yourself. You might think you're better, but where's the evidence that shows you you are better? And that's what I was saying as we were leading into the third set, was that, well, that last set was hard, and you've identified that you probably think you're better, 
But actually, you don't get to own that I think I'm better until you have evidence that you are better or that you've proven that you are better. And so the third set was about them having some evidence to prove they are better. So I kind of set them up for that challenge and put them out there. And uh, I, don't, I didn't ask people after the fact, but hopefully they had the evidence that they, they were better. But you, I imagine you, you know this in other people in your life, people who you've had time with, who talk about themselves at a level when maybe you have a deeper understanding of this person, where when you look at the evidence of this person, maybe they aren't as good as that than what they present, represent themselves as. And I think there's one thing that's really important is that when there's a disconnect between what I believe is true than the evidence of what I actually do, we want to get an alignment in place there. Now, there's a few reasons. A, there's credibility. But one of the reasons that's really important, and this kind of worked on well, my, my, this is a lesson from this morning because that part happened and then I had a session with a client. And um, one of the things that this, we had a session around some other thing and, and I actually told them just about what I talked about in class. And they said, yeah, one of the really big things about this is when you get to the level of experiencing the version of yourself that you say you can be, is you can often get unintended and unforeseeable benefits that you didn't know were the case. Think about that. So you say you are something, but you, you never actually be it. And then you actually experience being that version of yourself. Now we can take this in a really simple complex context. We can kind of say, you might say, I'm a, a 50 minute 10k runner. But really, the last time you ran 50 minutes might have been 20 years ago. So realistically, you're probably not a 50-minute 10K runner right now. Or maybe you are, but you just haven't done it in a long time. So you're kind of owning this stamp within yourself, but there's no evidence to prove it. Now, if you just keep owning that stamp, there's A, there's a disconnect between the evidence. So there's, again, maybe a lack of credibility. And maybe people in your life, when they hear you talk about you saying, well, I'm a 50-minute 10K runner, they probably think, oh, you're probably not. But then you go and you train and you do that 50-minute 10K run. Now, when you experience that achievement, you have benefits. And sometimes these benefits are unintended or unforeseeable. Unintended and unforeseeable benefits of experiencing that thing. Now, I don't know what those benefits would have been for the people in my class this morning, but it was interesting as I was speaking to my client today, He's he's a good runner, and when we talked about him, the evidence of him when he was trying to do his fast marathon, he said, well, actually, one of the unforeseeable benefits was I met the mother of my child, my children. Um, as a part of me chasing this goal and trying to achieve this goal, I actually met someone of a high level as an athlete as well, and we connected and we went on and had children together. Now, that's a crazy benefit that you wouldn't associate with trying to do fast running, but that's often what happens when you actually try to prove the statements that we think we can be in our lives. Now, this little bit that I'm putting in before today's show, it's, it's a bit out there, I know. I've kind of just kind of pulled this out based on all the thing of this morning. And I suppose if you're going to think about it, what do you take away from it? I think the first thing you take away from it is be credible to the way you represent yourself. That's first and foremost. And if you are saying you are something, you should have some recent evidence to align to that. So I, you know, like I'm a good runner. And I can say I'm a good runner. One thing I probably couldn't say right now is I'm a 242 marathoner. I, that's my personal best for a marathoner. So I could say in my past I've been a 242 marathoner, but I'm not right now. Right now, if I were to kind of get up and do a marathon today, I'd probably struggle to get under three hours. If I did training, I'd probably be a 250 marathoner. 
But, I, I, you know, the evidence of me being a 242 is in the past. And so sometimes in life we do need to have the proof to be aligned with who we are. And ultimately if we have the proof to be aligned with who we are, then we're also we're probably going to discover some unattended and unforeseeable benefits of that place. So that may be a bit random, I may have just confused you, but there might be some insight for you. And I suppose ultimately what I'm saying is that if you are representing yourself as something in this world, you should be having recent experiences that are proving that to you. And there's lots of reasons for that. Now we're going to get into the interview of Brody in a second, but I want to say a big thank you to all the patrons. Now if you want to become a patron of my show, go to bevanjamesisles.com. And actually I've got some feedback on this because basically what you do is you go to Bevan James Isles, podcasts support me and it takes you through to a company called patreon and they kind of manage the patrons and on that page it has a number which is like i can't remember what it is something like 80 dollars something like that and that represents what i get per show it's not what you have to donate so if you want to donate you can donate like a dollar a show you can donate five dollars you can donate whatever you want to donate towards the show and basically each time i put a show out um you know, a bit of your hard-earned money goes my way. Now, I'll be honest, I've got thousands and thousands of listeners, and I've probably got 100 patrons. So for those people who are patrons, you are a pretty special bunch of people, and it really does help this show. So uh, I want to say a big thank you to patrons, and when you become a patron, you get a cool nickname, and actually I have a new patron, and his name is Hayden Ryan. Now, I actually know Hayden. He's a runner in my running group, uh, Extra Mile Runners, uh, and he's doing a half marathon training right now. Uh, and and when I think about Hayden, a, he's a really nice man. He's a really, really nice man. And one thing I love about Hayden is he just seems to be someone who's really interested in other people. Um, yeah, he's just someone who's, you know, just a good conversationalist person, uh, always got a nice smile on his face. And just, you know, it just I, I always... You know, I'm always admire someone who's interested in other people. I think it's a really nice trait to have in somebody, and Hayden is definitely that person. But as a runner, he's a really smooth runner. Like seriously, he's got really nice technique, and he kind of just kind of glides along as he runs along. So when I thought about Hayden, and I thought about a nickname. I thought smooth operator. So Hayden Ryan, you are Hayden, the smooth operator. Ryan, that's your nickname, and I think it's a big appropriate, appropriate, a, a, a good nickname, not just for your running, but also just for who you are in person, as a person in life. So, Hayden Ryan, the smooth operator. Some other patrons are Laura Do a Lot, Do 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 a Lot, Pfeiffer. <laughs> She's a doctor who goes absolutely crazy on the amount of work she does. Uh, Marie Sounds of Glory. Now, Marie, your last name is a big one for me, so I'm going to do this. Andrix, Marie Andrix, Sound of Glory. We've got David Samuel, the super um, smart smasher. We've got Jen Pillipo, and she is the mind feeder. These are all patrons of the show. If you want to become a patron of the show, just go to bevanjamesisles.com, and that way, uh, go through to support me, donate as little or as much as you want towards each show. It definitely helps me do what I do. Anyway, here is Brody Sharp on Dealing with Injury. Okay, team, I'm pretty happy to have a young man by the name of Brody. I can say that because I'm a little bit older than you. Brody's <laughs> uh, sharp on the show. He's got the, uh, the website runsmarter. Is it online? Is the website? Correct. Correct. Yeah, online. Um, and he's a bit of a running specialist, but he also deals with a lot of injuries. And we thought we'd get him on the show just to talk about not necessarily just running injury, but just kind of injury. Because let's be honest, if you want to have movement in your life, often injury is a part of that journey. And there's things we can do to avoid it. But there's also things that people do to kind of make that worse along the way. So welcome to the show, Brody. How are you? Thanks, Bevan. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm fantastic. How are you? Uh, good, mate. 
tell me a bit about yourself. Give me, give me the overall. Yeah. So I'm a physiotherapist by trade and graduated in 2012. Uh, went straight into private practice, just a generic private practice. And it was about two years into my physio career that I became a runner myself. I grew up playing basketball, dealing with a whole bunch of basketball injuries, which is what got me into physiotherapy or interested yeah. in physiotherapy. And once I became a runner, I started recognizing within myself that whenever I'd see a runner, an injured runner come into my clinic, I'd have like a heightened passion for like wanting them to get back on track. You know, I want to talk about injuries. I want to talk about shoes, what goals they have, all that sort of stuff. And they'd be walking away with what I felt was higher quality because it brought out the better self in me and it, it heightened my passion for treating people. And so recognizing that within myself, I decided to try and um, put put myself, put a position uh, where I'm spending more time around that population. And so dedicated my career to just treating runners and having that particular niche. And that's been my sole focus for a couple of years now. So tell, tell us, you know, like, is it, often the, the physio is kind of uh, the ambulance at the bottom of the hill. You know, you're often uh, dealing with the after effect of, the, of bad decisions or, or unfortunate situations. Um, so what, what do you see uh, the common, like, you know, injuries are an interesting thing, but what are some of the common reasons people get injured? Yeah, and you're totally right. We sort of see them at their worst case because <laughs> I often say to people, they don't come in when they're injured. They come in when they're injured bad enough that it's starting to yeah. impact something that's really meaningful. And yeah. let's just take like low back pain for an example. Someone can put up with low back pain for years and then it's only once they're unable to do their job, like throughout the day, once they're unable to play with their kids is a big one. Once they're unable to put on their socks in the morning, that sort of thing, when it's bad enough to start impacting what's meaningful for them is when they come in and so yeah. when i see runners they usually run on a particular injury and they usually run with an injury for months sometimes years until it gets so bad that they're not reaching their goals or they can't run the injuries too severe now to run that's when they start like their motivation levels go through the roof and they're like yep i need to get on top of this and it's unfortunate because that's when it's so hard to overcome. It's so hard to get rid of. And it's usually a little bit more chronic in nature than just a couple of weeks old. And usually the ones who are sensible and have come to seek some treatment early in the early days, they've only done that because they've learned from their past experiences that yeah. coming in too late is um, yeah, a bit of a, a hurdle to start with. But yeah, to answer your question, where when it comes to people developing injuries, and this can be a huge blanket statement for uh, any athlete, it's usually doing too much too soon and exceeding the body's capacity to adapt or capacity to tolerate a certain level of load. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting just going back to what you're talking about there um, because you talk about, you know, they leave it to it's just too bad, you know, and bad enough is almost not bad enough, if you know what I mean. Um, and the thing that you also kind of recognize there is that the exercise experience isn't as fun. Like if you're, if you're sitting on a kind of temporary kind of mid range back injury that you can still work through, it's not as fun as when you can just move without pain. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's when it comes down to like what motivates people and it's, what's happening. What, what are the emotions that they're going through? Like sometimes people can put up with, a certain pain, certain symptoms, and still 
somewhat enjoy what they're doing. And it's a, it's like in the back of their mind, they're like, yeah, I should probably sort that out, but I'm, I'm having fun right now. I'm enjoying what I'm doing right now. I can't stop what I'm doing right now. Cause I love it so much. But then yeah. there's like this tipping point where it's certainly like, there's a tipping point where it doesn't become fun anymore. It definitely starts to uh, become more irritated, starts to impact. Like we said, the things you love starts to impact your career, your family, your relationships, and just your mood, your day-to-day moods and, um, yeah, that can be a huge shift and a huge change in motivation levels. One thing, one thing I've discovered is that often what happens is you find people get on a, in a fitness journey and they're doing so well on their fitness journey, and then the the niggle comes along, but they don't want to stop because they're, they're so fearful of stopping that that you know because they're finally feeling successful of exercise that they become a bit irrational. So they don't do, they almost go into denial of an injury because they don't want to stop the exercise, but that leads to that more chronic kind of condition, doesn't it? Yeah. And um, I was just chatting to a fella yesterday, actually, and he's brought out a, um, a running survey around running injuries. And he had that same term, that injury denial. And he's seeing yeah. in his surveys that people are pushing through an injury or almost convincing themselves otherwise because they don't want to, because they know if they accept that they are injured, that they're going to have to reduce their uh, fitness levels or have a break from running or have a break from their sport. And that's a real fear that people have. And that's a real hesitation when people try need to seek help, but there's a hesitation there because all they're going to, their belief is the therapist is going to say that I can't run or I can't go back to sport. And that's a massive fear that they have. And to allay that fear, a lot of times I like to educate my athletes around the benefits of um, still maintaining a sport. Like maybe for team sports, it might be slightly different. For running, we can definitely change certain variables within their activity levels. Um, Let's just say we avoid hills or we avoid a certain speed or we avoid a certain distance or we try and break up their running with um, bouts of walking and still maintain their level of fitness while managing this certain injury. And mm. while someone is injured, and if it is at a level of severity where they do need to take time off, I let them know that it's only for a short period of time, but we try and replace it with something that, that is just as um, mentally stimulating or makes them fe- still have that benefit of exercise. And they're still getting out. They're still maintaining a certain level of fitness because a lot of people worry about uh, losing that level of fitness. They've worked so hard to gain and it might just be as simple as going on the bike instead of a run. It might be something as swimming instead of, you know, doing something else. It might be strength training at a high intensity with safer exercises, but we're still maintaining the fitness level. We're still maintaining the the mental side of things as well because they're happy that they're still exercising and they're not com- at that complete rest. And that's where it becomes a bit of an art, a little bit of a... Um, trying to see what we can get away with and a bit of experience and knowing a certain injury can get away with certain other, other activity levels that won't aggravate the injury. But then, um, yeah, you're addressing the physical and the mental side of things as well, which helps recovery in the long run. Well, I think also another thing to add on top of that is, you know, we're talking about that, you know, when you feel you're doing well and you don't want to lose your fitness and stuff, but let's be honest, a lot of people use fitness for things like weight management. And so they're so fearful with, if I have to pull back from my movement, I'm going to put on weight. I'm, you know, there's this kind of, it's almost a fear-based decision that makes them be irrational around trying to solve a problem that needs to be solved. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd say, I'd say weight management, I'd just say just losing fitness in general, because 
people have worked so hard to get to where they are now. They've worked so hard mm. with consistent training to reach that certain status, that certain level of fitness that, yeah, like I said, there's a period of injury denial and then it's not very good in the long run. You need to see the right therapist as early as you can in order to receive the right education. And that can help allay a lot of people's fears and say, you know what, we can actually um, maintain your weight level. We actually can do a lot of aerobic fitness and a lot of high intensity fitness uh, just with something that won't flare up your symptoms. Well, and and I suppose that this is a really important thing for everybody to think about is it's really important when you come to choose the people who are going to support you towards the better way, you've got to choose people who have an understanding of your needs. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I say like, I'm mainly addressing runners and a lot of people go to say a GP, a doctor, and if they're not a runner, that you get these crazy quotes coming out of their mouth saying like, why are you running? Running's bad for your knees. Like if you've got knee pain and you're a runner, you probably shouldn't be running. And people take these beliefs on and it's, it's really misguided information. There's a lot of misconceptions out there and people come in with knee pain and, oh, my doctor said I should never run again. Or my surgeon said that tendons never heal. And so um, I need to have surgery. And like even health professionals in general, like if they're not in, if they're not aware of the the right education, not aware of the the current literature around um, maintaining fitness levels while someone is injured, and they think complete rest is the answer, then that's the wrong therapist that you should be seeing. And it's hard for the athlete themselves to try and find that right person. So how do you know? Just googling yeah. around on the therapist that around who would be the best one. It's really really tough. So what would be your advice on that? Um, I would say you can try some different therapists, but it's the quality of the the consult that you're after. Like you want to make sure that when you do see a health professional, you want to make sure that all of your questions are being answered, but at a standard that you fully understand, you want to make sure that they're not just taking, they're not telling you around complete rest. Um, they're not trying to do all these passive treatments it's not all 100% focused around passive treatment and it's around trying to empower you as an individual and setting some uh, short-term long-term goals as well um, where some athletes can become like a little bit held to one therapist is if they solely rely on hands-on therapy and what that might look like is let's just say an athlete comes in with shoulder pain and they say, oh, you need massage. You need to, you've got all these trigger points. We need to release these trigger points. We need to do some dry needling, have some shockwave. Um, that will help settle down some symptoms. We need to do this for, you know, twice a week for three weeks. And there's no talk of this is what's going on. There's no talk about this is what you need to do yourself. These are the strengthening exercises you need to do to rebuild for yourself. This is how we're going to get you back to swimming or sports or whatever you have. Um so you can constantly see that there's a heavy reliance on just passive. It's just taking all the power away from the athlete and into just the therapist. And mm. a lot of the times the athlete themselves, when they're in the consult, they're a bit too embarrassed or a bit too shy to come forth and say, what is this doing to me? Like, what is the research? What's the evidence behind it? Um, are we doing things that are clinically sound? What about um, some long-term benefits? 
And if they do dare to ask those sort of questions, sometimes that type of therapist might come back with something really complicated and say, no, we're just releasing these, um, this fascia and we're doing all this to calm down the central nervous system. We're doing this, blah, blah, blah. And their answer doesn't make sense to the athlete. And then they just pipe down again and mm. don't dare to ask the, those questions. So a lot of it is revolved around asking the right questions. Make sure you have clarity, make sure you have a plan in place, make sure there is a strategy that empowers you and that you're developing these strategies yourself to build on, um, to recover and rebound back to your um, athletic endeavors. And if you're ticking all the boxes there, then you've probably found yourself a good therapist. Okay. And I, and I imagine also word of mouth, you know, like if you, cause you, you, you know, that what you talk about there is you spend a lot of money going around different kind of therapists or, or physios or whatever health professional you're using to find the right person. But obviously in, in your world, you've probably got sporty people who have a good recommendation of the right type of person. Definitely. Yeah. You'd see you um, just through word of mouth, you say, Oh, how's your um, podiatrist? How's your physiotherapist? And that kind of thing. They'll be like, yeah, they, they're great. I'm still running They're They've, they've encouraged me to still keep running. I'm doing these exercises. I have to go in for um, some manual therapy here and there, but I'm feeling in control. I'm, I feel like I have a lot of clarity, all that sort of stuff. They're the, the kind of responses that you want to, um, check someone out. Whereas if you've got a mate who says, Oh, my therapist is really good. Um, my physio is really, really good. I go in for adjustments a couple of times a week and then I'm, I'm feeling really good after that. I'm not too sure what it does, but, um, as long as I go in twice a week, then I'm feeling pain free. I feel great. You want to kind of ha um, have a couple of red flags there, prick your ears up and kind of, um, yeah. Ask the question, is that really the best management? Yeah, one one thing on your website which I found really you you, you wrote an article about um, the psychology of injury. Do you want to talk a bit about this because I found that quite fascinating. Talking about um, you know is injury more a mechanical thing or is it often more of a psychological thing? So maybe talk about that because I found that quite fascinating. Yeah, um, I've got a couple of topics around this. One being uh, injury is potentially linked to personality types, and I also have once you are injured, especially when it comes to chronic injuries, there is certain behaviors, certain traits that um, don't serve people, certain beliefs that people have, misconceptions people have that really hinder their ability to recover. So um, perhaps we dive into the personality side of yeah. it to start yeah, with. Let's do that first. Yeah. Yeah. So if we're looking at high-end athletes or runners or um, uh, elite sporting people, they have, they can group into a certain personality type. And usually it are the, runners in particular, they're the ones who are self-motivated. They're the ones that hold themselves to like quite high standards. They're driven. They're like this type A personality, which is really, really great because they can sign up for a race and that's all they need. They've got that motivation to get up every morning, train consistently. They've got this um, drive that, you know, they don't really need much encouragement and, that gets them all the goals, gets them really successful in their career. They're happy. They're out enjoying life, but that same personality trait can have its detrimental attributes. And when we're talking about this type of personality, we're also looking at things like holding themselves like really high accountability, like perfectionism, like overly critical evaluation of like their behavior. They they'll set themselves almost um, impossible goals or like really, really tough goals. And that can lead to behaviors like pushing themselves too hard, like training a little bit too hard. 
not taking a rest day when the body's probably telling them they should take a rest day. And if they are injured, it's most likely to, uh, they're most likely to have the behavior to return too soon with a high intensity sort of session and kind of push through the pain a little bit, push through a little bit of grit. And that can spiral into an injury that really uh, is nasty, hard to get rid of. And there has been a lot of studies in the past of certain personality types, certain runners who do particularly portray these sort of personality types and increase their likelihood of injury. Yeah, well, you, on this article that you sent through was, you know, you talk about perfectionism, perfectionistic striving versus perfectionistic concerns and that uh, concerns are those ones who are concerned about mistakes, feelings, you know, and all that kind of stuff, a bit negative to, towards being imperfective and uh, imperfection. But you're saying that they, those ones have a 17 times more suffer more rate of injury. Yeah. Yeah. This is what the, that study has shown. And there was another one, um, that did like, there are studies that show that certain health outcomes do increase the likelihood of injury. And surprisingly, like, um, there was Messier, um, in 2018 who released an article, they interviewed, uh, or they surveyed 300 recreational runners and just had a look at if there's any common links to future injury, your risk of injury in the future. And it, there's a lot of, um, surprising findings that well surprising to most that it doesn't matter on your weekly mileage. It doesn't matter on if you have flat feet, it doesn't matter on your running technique, but there are certain, um, certain health outcomes that can, uh, increase your risk of injury. And another study kind of split up this, um, perfectionism, the definition of perfectionism. And, uh, like you're saying, they split it up into strivings and concerns. So the perfectionism strivings would be someone who does hold themselves quite accountable. They have these personal standards and they strive for those personal standards, but the concerns is kind of like the negative side. You could say the negative side of perfectionism where they hold themselves to a high standard and they have these high achieving goals, but then they're they're worried about the consequences if they don't achieve those goals. And that's where the concerns and the mistakes and um, the mental side of things tends to be quite negative. And they did show that if you're, if they break up that definition, those who score, uh, score quite highly on these health outcomes on the category of perfectionism concerns, then there is a 17 times more likely risk of injury down the track, which is super, super relevant, massive. super significant. Yeah, it's massive, absolutely massive. Um, so we do need to self-reflect. We do need to um, look at ourselves as athletes and think, how are we structuring our training? What um, emotion, what, what are we telling ourselves Where's our mindset mostly? Where's our, what we call emotional home? Like where are we usually um, used to being at? Am I usually concerned or am I driven in a positive sense? And what I've found with runners is they really need to analyze what goal they've set, how hard they've worked to achieve a certain goal. And then in the past, how long has it really taken um, for them to celebrate once they do achieve that goal? And I can say it's probably quite similar for a lot of, the athletes um, that listen to this podcast, you've probably set yourself a goal or a race or um, like a sporting event type of type of goal. And then you've worked so hard to get there, so hard to get there. And then if it is eventually achieved, you probably celebrate for how long, maybe a couple of days, maybe a day, maybe a couple of yeah, hours before yeah. you find that next goal. And then you're back into the grind. You're back into 
pushing yourself and like treating, like holding yourself to accountability and training for that next goal. So um, yeah, if you spend the majority, the vast, vast majority of your time, just in that space of grit and seeking that goal and being driven towards that goal. Yeah. Really try and self-reflect on how long you take to celebrate and just like be kind to yourself. A lot of the time in uh, like the, I guess the general theme of this is we need to learn to be a bit more kind to ourselves and don't hold ourselves to this really, really high standard and be down on ourselves when we don't achieve it. Well, and I suppose that's the, that's the question, isn't it? Is because um, obviously the people who have that perfectionistic concerns, that kind of trait, they obviously that makes them make foolish decisions around how to look after injury or you know how to avoid injury. So the, the actions are probably pretty obvious of why they get injured. It's more the thinking behind it. So I suppose if anybody who's listening to this does find that this is always in an injury loop, is starting to spend some time to understand the thinking that makes you make decisions that maybe deep down you know are poor decisions. And so then once you get a good understanding of that, you can start to put some strategies in place of how to deal with those emotions, those thinkings, you know, that actually work against you being more successful in how you move forward. Yeah. And there's a whole other topic we can delve into, which is like pain science. And once someone is injured, the severity of the injury and the duration of the injury can have a massive impact on like, your, the way you think, the beliefs that you have, the context that you give to your injury can have a significant yeah. impact on the intensity of pain that you feel and oh, really? how long you actually um, are subject to that pain for. A- absolutely. It's fascinating. Well, also the story of your injury, because it's interesting. I've, I've, I've been a high-level exerciser for you know, 20, 23 years, 24 years now. And, I, you know, I've, I've averaged probably over 20 years, probably 15 hours exercise a week at least. Um, and so... And, and hard, intense exercise. Now, now I'm in my mid-40s. I've, I found a couple of years ago when I got injured, it was an age problem. Now, the thing is, if you look at my history of movement, it's been injuries through the whole period of my movement. It, it's because I push myself hard, and at times there's a risk. There's, there's problems that come with that. Um, and uh, But this, this, this just because my age was older, I just started attaching that story to it. And then I caught myself doing it. I was like, oh, I was, you, you know, you're only 43. You're not that old. You've got plenty of years where your body's still strong. This injury is not age. It's just an injury. And every year of your life, you've had some injuries. And so uh, the attachment of that story, but because it changes how you look forward in your life, because it's like, oh, I'm old. I can't do what I used to do. And it, like, that wasn't actually true. It was just I was attaching that, that story to that injury. Yeah, a fantastic example. And I often like on my podcast, I'm list, um, um, people who sign up to my um, podcast Facebook group, I have a chat with them. Like as soon as they jump into the group, I'm like, oh, how's your running going? All that sort of thing. And you wouldn't believe the amount of people that are injured and the amount of people that say, yeah, I've got a knee injury, but it's just old age. Like it's, yeah. it's understandable. I'm, I'm getting old now. And like you said, it's a story. And a story is essentially like a belief that you've given yourself. And yeah. that belief that you've held true is what the brain's going to process when it comes to um, delivering pain signals and delivering symptoms. And yes, it is true that once someone does get more advanced in age into their fifth, fourth, fifth, sixth decade, they need to um, prioritize the um, recovery aspect of things. You might not bounce back from running a marathon as quickly as you did in your twenties. And we, you might not be able to do back-to-back days um, like you did in your twenties. But in saying that when it comes to delivering symptoms and delivering pain, it's all coming from the brain. And there's a lot of science 
currently out to look at pain signals, chronic pain, all that sort of stuff. And it's the context that you give it. I, I have the example, like let's just say you're playing uh, a rugby grand final and you roll your ankle or you break your foot in the dying seconds. And if you, in those dying seconds, if you were to win that grand final, you won't experience yeah. as much pain as if you lose yeah. that grand final, because it means so much. You've done the same level of damage, but your brain has experienced, had a totally different experience. You've given it different context. You might be able to put like, I've cost us the grand final. I have like, it's like I've broken my foot and it's cost me the my teammates, the win all those thoughts, all those things can um, are really stories that the brain starts to evaluate and calculate a whole bunch of things and then will deliver pain output. And yeah, tons and tons of studies around pain and how the brain has a massive impact and your beliefs and your context and the stories that you tell yourself uh, are directly correlated. And ideally, like kind of I did in my example, you, you've got to catch these stories and actually go, actually, let's look at the real facts here and let's keep things in perspective. Yeah, because I've, I've caught myself um, throughout my running career as well because I was training for triathlons, like just short distance triathlons, and then I was doing half marathons. I was actually thriving in half marathons, really loving it, doing similar trail runs. But then as soon as I'd increase my distance and try a marathon, I'd break down and I'd get injured. And I kept telling myself, I'm just not built. I don't have the body for a marathon. I'm more yeah. built for half marathons, which is totally untrue. And that's just the, the story I told myself. And what's my brain going to think if I have kept telling myself that story once I start putting on more and more mileage? It's going to say, what are you doing to yourself? You're not built for marathons. Let's send some signals to, to warn him, you know? Yeah. So, so what, the, the second subject you were kind of mentioning earlier is that kind of how to mentally set up your road to recovery. Do you want to talk through that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. And I did a podcast episode and also a blog on this particular title and learning from a couple of like papers and there's a book called rebound. I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but um, yeah, I have actually, yeah. Yeah. So it's training the mind to bounce back stronger from sports injuries. And it's how we need to mentally set ourselves up for success when it comes to recovering from an injury and what to expect expectations, laying down expectations is massive when it comes to recovery for an athlete. And it's important that when I'm seeing a runner in um, my clinic or online, I make sure that they're, um, they're at least like they're letting me know their expectations because they might, they might have a six month injury and expect to be running within a couple of weeks. That's the expectation that they have. So it's important that we lay all this down. We lay down the facts and we lay down these risk reward benefits and all these sort of things. And I kind of have the analogy, like if you were to drive, take a long trip um, across the country and you wanted to successfully, obviously successfully reach, reach your destination, what are a couple of things we need to have in place? And this is the similar concept to your road to recovery when it comes to uh, overcoming your injury. The first thing would be like the, the car that you have. You want to have a nice, reliable, strong car other, you don't want to breaking down halfway through. And so our first step would be something along the lines of making sure you, when it comes to your car, making sure, you know, you've got it serviced, making sure that, you know, the tires are checked, making sure that we've ticked all our boxes. So mechanically it's all going well. want to make sure that it's got petrol. want to make sure that, um, yeah, you've got all your ducks lined up in a row. When it comes to recovering from your injury, we want to make sure that your body's set up for recovery. So we want to make sure that 
you have the the foundation strength. We want to make sure we're addressing any particular weak links. We want to make sure that your sleep and your nutrition and your mindset are all positive and ready to start negotiating and handling um, the rehab that we're going to put it through. And so that would be our first step. The second step is making sure that we're laying down the expectations of what the what the travel, what the road might look like and expect that there might be some traffic along the way. If we anticipate that we're going across the, the country, it might take, let's just say, you know, 20 hours and straight off the gate, <clears throat> before you get out of the city, there's some heavy traffic and that blows your 20 hours into, you know, 25 hours. We need to make sure that we have planned for this and we've expected this because if you try and zoom in and out of traffic, you're going to get in an accident and it's going to delay your recovery big time. So when it comes to return to your injury or return to your sport, there might be certain circumstances, certain stages within your rehab that might take longer than originally planned, but that's okay because you're still moving ahead. Just like stuck in traffic, you're stuck. You're not going backwards, but you're still moving forward. It just is a little bit longer than what's planned. And if we don't encounter traffic, fantastic. But if we, um, if we have planned to expect traffic, then we can mentally deal with it a lot better. And we've got these contingencies in place. We've got these like little mini goals that we can keep working towards and keep striving towards. And all in all, that's going to allow for a better process and a better process for your recovery. Do you have any um, follow-up questions from that? No, no, it totally makes sense. Yeah. And, it, and it, it, what, it, what you're allowing them to do is that have a much more realistic expectation, which, which then makes you not make stupid decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And like expectation is a big one. I think most people might've seen on social media or some sort of posts that when someone is injured, they have certain expectations for, to reach a goal and you have, they have like the display of injury and then goal. And it's a straight line one to the other. And then side-by-side side comparison, you've got the injury, you've got the goal, and then what the reality is. And instead of a straight line, it's <clears throat> loop-the-loops, like swi- uh, spirals, swirls all over the place that eventually gets to your goal. And it's so true when it comes to overcoming injuries. And you might expect these delays. You might expect um, sometimes to backpedal a little bit. Sometimes we might make some some wrong turns. We might make some mistakes that actually backpedals us a couple of stages but if you expect the unexpected and if you expect that there might be some stages along the way that might have a bit of a hiccup and we have to go back a stage or two or a step or two um that's totally fine as long as we're learning along the way and we don't keep making those same mistakes because that's often something that um leads to a longer recovery but we learn we say okay we tried running for say five Ks, then we jumped up to seven Ks and now your symptoms are flared up. We have to um, backpedal for a couple of days while these symptoms are um, flared up. We need to wait for that to calm down, but we've learned from that big jump. Maybe next time, instead of going from five Ks, we then go to five and a half Ks, or maybe we walk more in that seven Ks and we just break it up a little bit more. So we're, lo- we're constantly learning along the way what your injury can tolerate um, that way we're not making the same mistakes moving forward. Yeah. And you're allowed to, to, to solve problem solve it in a wise way, not in a, in a rational way. Yeah. And that's why having a coach and having a, a health professional uh, guiding you as well can be so helpful because 
people might not be able to pick up certain patterns um, or they, you know, they might miss something, a little bit of information that is crucial when it comes to an optimal recovery. So yeah, laying out those plans and identifying any of these little hiccups um, can be really important. So having people on your team can really be of, a, of advantage. Just, just lastly, I think a really important thing that we often say, I was actually speak to one of my runners about this every day is that people are often really good. So you, so you finally, you know, you go see the physio, you go get your health professionals, they give you good advice, you, you get on top of it, you do your work. The injury starts to go away and people stop doing the work. I'm sure you've experienced a lot of this. I'm sure it's frustrating as heck for you. So, because often you, that doesn't mean just because you stop stop feeling it so much doesn't mean you still shouldn't be doing work to help you avoid moving forward. So what would be your advice around that stuff? Yeah. And it's, it's back to what we said at the start. It's like motivation levels and it, it can get to a point where that motivation level tips in the other direction. You're no longer um, prioritizing it because you're back to doing things that are meaningful and we're not hitting that threshold where that motivation is through the roof to do your exercise and do your recovery. Um, most people learn the hard way. They'll come back with the same injury over and over again with a flare yeah. up, flare up, flare up. So hopefully you don't have to learn that way, but hopefully you can appreciate that when you do receive an injury in any part of the body, that is now a, a temporary kind of weak link, if you can call it that. And you want to really turn that weak link into your strongest link that therefore we reduce the risk of re-injury as much as we can. And that's why when people have the expectation of, I'm just going to work on um, my injury until I'm pain-free and then I'm good to go. And they get to the point where they are symptom-free, but there's still some weakness there that they haven't really identified. And then injury sparks back up. They're back in to see um, their health professional. So this is what we need to educate to people. I say, if you have an e injury and you're back to symptom free, totally pain free, let's do some strength tests. Let's see how much you can, um, how many single leg squats you can do on one side compared to the other. Let's see how high you can hop on one side compared to the other. Let's see how strong, how powerful, how flexible, all these sort of things you are on that knee compared to your unaffected side. And if you're ticking all the boxes and you're matching all of those, then I can say, you know what, you're pretty good. Um, Let's leave it there. But a lot of times people can get symptom-free and they're like, I'm good to go. I'm good to return to sport. I don't need any to do any exercise anymore. And then we say, okay, let's put you through some fitness testing. And they're just so far off the par of what their opposite side is that yeah. you're like, look, you're just going away with a weak link that's going to return and manifest itself in the same injury or if not another injury. Yeah, nice. That's a good way of revealing that they still need to keep at their work, isn't it? Yeah, it's just the difference between what we call um, sign-free and symptom-free. So people get symptom can get symptom-free pretty quickly. So symptoms being pain, stiffness, soreness, all that sort of stuff, they're like symptoms. But the signs are flexibility, strength, power, all these sort of things. So you can get mm. symptom-free but, but not be sign-free. And so it's ticking off the symptoms and ticking off the signs. So you say, okay, you've got no symptoms and you're also ticking all these strength, power um, boxes then we're good to go. Yeah. Uh, just anything else you want to touch on before we kind of wrap things up? Um, I think we're, I think we've covered a lot today. I think it just when it comes to the, the behavior of 
the athlete, I think what we've touched on a, a couple of times in this episode is just self-reflect. It's like self-reflect on yeah. your past mistakes, self-reflect on the the stories that you tell yourself. And my podcast is designed for runners, but it, it tries to address a lot of these misconceptions that we do have, especially when mm. it comes to injury, especially when it comes to performance and overcoming certain injuries. And a lot of people, there's a lot of misconceptions that people have around injuries and recovery that need to be addressed, pain being one of them, um, yeah, beliefs being another. And just self-reflect, just ask yourself, okay, um, I've been injured three times in the last two years. Has it been the same mistake? Have I been driving myself um, under the same conditions? Is it my attitude? Is it my um, training structure? Is it, do I push myself too hard? Do I, you know, do I have these spikes in load followed by these troughs of inactivity? Um, do I hold myself to a too high of a standard? Am I too harsh on myself? And yeah, it, self-reflection can be super, super powerful for any athlete. And when it comes to this, this podcast in general, just like looking at fitness behavior, um, you've had several podcast interviews on this topic, but it's worth revealing and reminding ourselves around the behaviors that we do have. Yeah. Now, if people do want to follow you or want to get onto your podcast, uh, give us the plug. Yeah. So it's called the Run Smarter Podcast. You can find it wherever you find your podcasts. Um, I do recommend that if anyone wants to listen, to go back to episode one and listen to the first 10 episodes. They are like my first season. It's the top 10 principles to overcoming any running injury. And a lot of little takeaways there. So what I'd recommend if someone wants to go to that podcast, listen to the first 10 and then you can start scrolling through all the other episodes that you might find relevant. Um, But yeah, I interview researchers, I interview running coaches, I interview other health professionals outside of the physiotherapy realm. So like podiatrists and chiros and trying to get a, a better glimpse of like all the other disciplines. And yeah, so if anyone's interested, they can go there. And he's, he's also got some courses you can get on there as well, which help with your injury as well. So that is runsmarter.online. Uh, thanks for your time, mate. It's been absolutely awesome talking to you. Yeah, I've had a blast. Thanks, Bevan. All right, team, hopefully you got something along out of that. Um, just... To me, there's lots of good stuff in there, and I just think injury is, as I said before, we actually started talking to Brady, injury is a part of the game, and how you deal with it has a massive influence. It's just a really interesting insight, wasn't there, around that perspective, and you know, just how you work against yourself, and, and ultimately, what we want to do is we want to get to that place where we can get back to movement, and not give up on movement, but get back to moving the way we like to move, and there are good ways we can do this, so hopefully you've got lots of that insight from Brody in there. Again, you can check out his website, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, just go to my show notes. Uh, that's pretty much today's show done and dusted, uh, if you do want to support the show, a couple of things you can do is put some feedback on one of your podcatchers. People have been doing it recently. I'm not going to read one out today because I'm kind of in a bit of a rush, but next time I'll read one out. Thank you to all the people who are doing that. It really definitely helps. Uh, secondly, just spread the word. You know, podcasting, people know about podcasting nowadays. If you've got a friend who you know would be into podcasting, you can send it to them. Uh, and lastly, you can become a patron. And it's just go to my website, click on podcast, click on support me, go through the process. Other than that, uh, you guys have a great couple of weeks. I've got a good podcast coming up in a couple of weeks from now on a subject I've been thinking deeply about. So look out for that in two weeks from now. You guys rock on and I'll see you. What, what, how do I finish the show? Keep being you and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you.